Father, thank you for the opportunity of spending some time with our medical students today. Thank you for the opportunity of talking about something that is dear to the heart of God, medical evangelism. I pray thee that you would lift our spirits, encourage our hearts, and give us a vision of what you want to do. Help us see a broader vision of what can be accomplished in our lives than merely helping people to live longer in this life and have a better quality of life. Help us to see the integration of the physical, the mental, the spiritual dynamics of life and understand the the, the high calling that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1857, a man by the name of John Henry Dunnett was a very prosperous businessman in Europe. He was so prosperous that he was a commodities trader and helped to help the European governments negotiate grain sales to Africa, northern Africa particular, countries like uh, Morocco and Algiers. He was negotiating a particular sale worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that needed the signature of Napoleon III, not Napoleon Bonaparte, but Napoleon III, but there was only one problem. Napoleon III was in the Alps fighting the king of Sardinia. And without the signature of Napoleon III, it would be impossible for John Henry Dunnett's company to have a major sale of grain. So he tracked down Napoleon. When he got there, Napoleon's army was in the middle of battle, and the muskets were firing, the cannons were leaving their sulfuric smell in the air, the dead and the dying were lying on the battlefield. And the soldiers on both sides were bloody and bruised and crying out in agony. John Henry Dunnett sat on the side of a mountain watching the battle. He watched both armies approach. And in those days, before the days of modern warfare, there was a lot of hand-to-hand combat. There still is today, of course. But in those days, the, there were often thousands that would be dead on one battlefield. And Dunnett was just amazed. He, This rich, wealthy, affluent businessman looked down and he saw people lying on the battlefield. He noticed many of them crying out in agony, bleeding to death. And Dunnett, at the end of that battle, was so stunned, he, he sat there, just absolutely horrified. And he went out to the battlefield and found some people alive and with other volunteers began to bandage their wounds began to bathe their bloody brows and took them back to little makeshift hospitals that were in the battlefield. He worked there for three or four days trying to restore health. And the businessman was so taken by what he saw, so traumatized by what he saw, that he went back and never got Napoleon's signature on on this business contract. He went back and began something that we know today as the Red Cross. His whole life was given to healing, to ministry, to service. If I could summarize medical evangelism in one sentence, it would be this. Medical evangelism is the loving ministry of Christ, reaching out to meet the needs of needy humanity in Jesus' sake so that they can be healed physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically. I want to share with you today the calling that God has given to you. It's a calling that may be far higher, far broader, far more significant than has yet gripped you yet. I want to look at four aspects of medical evangelism. First, the motives of medical evangelism. Motives have to do with why we do what we do. 
Then the methods of, of medical evangelism, methods have to do with how we do what we do. The mission of medical evangelism, that has to do with the object of what we do. And the master of medical evangelism, that has to do with the one we do it for. So motives have to do with the question of why we do what we do. Methods have to do with the question of how we do what we do. Mission has to do with the question of the object of what we do. And the master has to do with the significant other, the one that we do it for. I'd like to look with you first at the motives of medical evangelism. People do things for different motives. What is your motive in being in medical school? Now, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes. Don't try to buffalo me on this one. What's your motive? Why are you here? Some people go into medicine because their parents are in medicine. Other people go in med into medicine or dentistry because it's rather prestigious. I mean, it's pretty good to have an MD after your name. They are motivated by the pride of accomplishment. That's not all bad. It's not all bad at all. Some people do what they do because of pressure from their parents. Some people do what they do because of a pride, a certain sense that I want to be somebody, a certain sense that I want to achieve, a certain success-driven syndrome. That's why they do what they do. Other people do what they do because of money. They say, look, how else could I make a certain figure that will enable me to live a life that is fairly comfortable? Some people do what they do because they want a home on the lake in a boat and skis and etc., etc. So various motives prompt different people. What is the single motive that prompted Jesus in his medical evangelistic ministry? What prompted it? Matthew, the 20th chapter, and the 28th verse. Jesus was certainly not prompted to do something merely because of pressure by the Father to do it. Jesus certainly wasn't prompted to come to earth because of the prestige that afforded him in doing it. In fact, he had a lot more prestige in heaven than he ever did on earth. He was worshipped by 10,000 times 10,000 angels, traveled to worlds afar, to planets that had never fallen by sin. So Jesus came to this snake pit of the world not prompted, not motivated by prestige. Was Jesus motivated by money? After all, I mean, up there in heaven, the streets were made of gold. <laughs> Certainly wasn't prompted by money. That wasn't the motive that prompted him. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The motive that prompts the medical evangelist is far different than the motive that prompts most people in this world. And I'd like to suggest to you that the motive that prompts the medical evangelist is far broader, far deeper, far higher than the motive that prompts the average physician. And I qualify that and I put average in quotes. That God has called Seventh-day Adventist physicians and dentists and medical personnel to something higher, something broader. And it begins with motives. It begins with something in the fundamental core of your being. It begins with something in the essence of your soul. 
It's an undefinable essence that prompts you and motivates you and guides you in doing what you do. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. And the scripture says there, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus was prompted by loving ministry. The needs of humanity called him. He was prompted by service. And the motive of the true genuine medical missionary is not money. It's not the fee charged. It's not power the people controlled. It's not status the position held. It's not prestige the honor bestowed. It is not recognition the people who notice. It is the loving ministry of Jesus Christ. Dr. Lou Evans, great medical missionary, was visiting a friend out in Korea. And uh, this friend had left the United States. Uh, he was in a small remote village in Korea. And one day he had to perform a very difficult abdominal operation on a village woman. Dr. Evans ac uh, accompanied his surgeon friend to that small remote village. And they had a makeshift operating room, and Doc began to operate. Lou Evans tells the story. He said, I assisted my doctor friend, and the operation turned more complicated than Dr. Evans thought it would turn, and the operation actually took seven hours. The heat was stifling. The odors were oppressive as hour after hour the skilled hands the steady hands of the surgeon cut open the stomach of this woman and performed the complicated operation. After about eight hours, he pulled down his mask, looked over at Dr. Evans, put his hand on his shoulder and said, well, Doc, it's done. They stitched her up. She's going to do okay. She's going to have some time in recovery, but she's going to make it. As they stumbled back to the humble, modest office, of that medical missionary physician, Dr. Evans sat down with him and he looked at him and he said, now doc, I have a question for you. How much do you get for an operation like that out here in the bush? And the medical missionary physician looked up and said, now doc, an operation like this in the States would have been at least 20,000. But he said, I'll tell you something. Here's what I get. And he reached down into a little desk drawer, opened the bottom drawer, pulled out an old dented copper coin. And he said, the first thing I get is this old dented copper coin. About two weeks ago, this lady came into my office and she said, Doctor, I just can't eat anything. I'm throwing up everything. I'm vomiting. And he said, let me give you an exam. And he examined her and found a certain growth that was restricting digestive processes. And he said, we can operate on that. And the growth had swollen. And so they did. They performed the operation. So he said, the first thing I get is this old dented copper coin. And the woman said to me when she came in, but doctor, I can't afford the operation. All I have is this dented copper coin. And the medical missionary physician said, that's just enough. You know, that's exactly what you need. So he said, the first thing I get is this old dented copper coin. But Dr. Evans, the second thing I get is this. The priceless awareness that for eight hours, Christ is working through these hands to heal one of his children. 
the priceless awareness that Christ is working through these hands to heal one of his children. The motive of every genuine medical missionary, I repeat, is not prestige. It is not power. It's not the pocketbook. Not prestige, power, the pocketbook. It is to allow Christ to use the gifts and talents that he's given me. To allow Christ to use my mind. To reach out in a world of suffering and sorrow and heartache and disappointment. A world of sickness and disease and debilitation because of the fall. Is to allow Christ to use me. To reverse for a limited time in that body the effects of the fall. To participate with Christ. To restore a body that was created in His image, but who has been defiled by sin. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is that Jesus did not ask the cause for disease, but treated the result of disease. The cause of disease for Jesus was not an object that inhibited His cure. But it was rather Disease was rather a reflection of the brokenness of humanity. It was a reflection of the lostness of humanity. It was a reflection of the separation from men, men and women from God. So Jesus went to some of the most difficult places. He walked into a place called Bethesda. You know, I love etymology. Etymology has to do with word study. And every time in the Bible you see Beth, Bethesda, Bethlehem, Bethsaida, it's a clue for you. Bethlehem. Beth means sign of, or house of, or dwelling place of. Lehem is bread. So, Bethlehem is the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, was born in the house of the baker. You see, Bethlehem. Beth, Seda. Seda is fish. Beth is house of, or sign of. Jesus, so Beth, Seda is the house of the fisherman. Jesus called the disciples to be fishers of men in the house of the fishermen. You see? Bethesda. Esda is mercy. Bethesda means house of mercy. Jesus came to the most despicable place in all Jerusalem where men and women were brought to die, where their bodies were in desperate, hopeless situations. And he came to the most hopeless of all, a man who had been there for 38 years who was shaking from head to toe with palsy. And Jesus walked into the midst of a place that had no mercy, a place that had no grace. He walked into a place of sickness and suffering and death that took the strongest of men down because disease is no respecter of persons. And Jesus walked into that place of hopelessness, that place of despair, that place of sickness, that place of disease. And Jesus reached out with his loving hands and touched some man. And he exhibited mercy. And that man was healed. So God calls you as a medical missionary to walk into places of despair. To walk into places of disease. To walk into places of suffering and death. To put your arm around a woman whose husband is dying in the hospital with cancer. To embrace a young man whose father has just had a heart attack. To come and hold in your arms two children whose parents have just been killed with a car wreck, to come to the most desperate, desolate places. And your motive 
is not money. Your motive is not power. Your motive is not prestige. Your motive is the loving ministry of Christ to minister to somebody who's in a desperate situation. May I share with you something that's quite strong, but I believe it to be true. It is a prostitution of your calling to do it for money. It is a prostitution of your calling to do it for power. It's a prostitution of your calling. It's a selling yourself cheap. It's a selling yourself cheap. Your destiny is higher than that. Your destiny is higher than that. The calling that God has given you is much, much higher than that. The motive of the true medical missionary, loving service. Now let's pause for a moment and look at the method. We're looking at motives. Now how did we define motives at the beginning of our lecture? Motives have to do with what? Why we do what we do. Methods have to do with how we do what we do. Methods have to do with the how. Now when you look at the methods of Jesus, we start in John chapter 1. Because the methods of the true medical missionary may be somewhat different than the methods of the average physician in society today. They may be different. I don't say they always are different, but they may be different. If you look at John chapter 1, two men come to Jesus. And in John 1 verse 38, Jesus says to these two men, What seek ye? What are you seeking? Now Jesus always began where people were. He never began where he was. He always began where they were. The method of the true medical missionary is to look at the needs of other human beings and in unselfish service meet those needs. So the method is the meeting of needs. Now if you look at John 2 to John 6, you see this Christ who meets the totality of needs. So the true medical missionary is not only interested in the stomach ulcer. The true medical missionary is interested in the thought processes that may have contributed to the stomach ulcer. The true medical missionary is not only interested that a person is overweight. They're not only interested in giving them drug therapy to reduce that overweightness, but they're interested in why. The true medical missionary is not only interested in the person who is depressed, they're interested in what has caused that depression. Why? They're not only interested in the elevated high blood pressure or the elevated cholesterol, but they're interested in what's behind it. So the true medical missionary sees things much more broadly. They do not see individuals as a commodity simply to have a reference pharmacology book to look up in and say, okay, patient pharmacology treatment. I am not suggesting to you that pharmacology has no role in treatment. It does. But I am suggesting to you that the true medical missionary looks, has a much broader approach. Is not the motto of this university to make men and women whole physically, mentally, spiritually? Is not Loma Linda University somewhat different than a typical medical school? Does it not look more broadly? John chapter 1, verse 28. What seek you? Now, there are four chapters right in a row that outline the ministry of Christ. In chapter 2, there is a wedding of Cana of Galilee. And in that wedding feast, they run out of wine, unfermented grape juice. That's another lecture. But it was unfermented. I can show you from the text. But that is another lecture. Unless I get off on it. Become more of a theologian. Okay. They ran out of wine. How would you feel if, if you invited the president of Loma Linda University to your wedding? And they ran out of haystacks just as she was coming through. 
You'd feel kind of like I... No. <laughs> How would you feel if Dr. Behrens was just in line with her husband and the dean of the medical school was behind her and your major professor behind her and you had served 50 people and there were another 100 in line and you ran out of unfermented, sparkling grape juice. And the favorite Adventist food of all, haystacks. I mean, how would you feel? And then Jesus comes along and those haystacks appear. I mean, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. How would your parents feel? What's going on in John chapter 2? Jesus says, when you are totally embarrassed, and that is your need, I will meet it. You see, John chapter 1, what seek ye? Is your need embarrassment? Is your need social? Is your need spiritual? Is your need physical? What is your need? In Christ we have one who meets the total needs of mankind. What seek ye John 1? The need in John 2 is social embarrassment. The need in John 3 is directly spiritual. Nicodemus comes to him by night. Jesus says you must be born again. It's a spiritual need. The need in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Have you ever noticed the contrast between John 3 and John 4? Well, here's an obvious contrast. John 3, Nicodemus is a man and she's a woman in John 4. That was really insightful. Um, John, that was one contrast. Nicodemus is a what? Jew? She's a Gentile. Nicodemus comes by night. She comes by day. Nicodemus comes seeking Jesus. She stumbles across him. Nicodemus has a spiritual longing. She does not. Jesus uses a direct spiritual approach with her. Jesus uses a social, with, with, with Nicodemus, a direct spiritual approach. He uses a social approach with the woman. He says, look, the well is deep. He bridges social barriers. John chapter 5, the need is, is physical. It's the man by the pool of Bethesda. So if you look at John 2, the need is social. If you look at John 3, the need is spiritual. If you look at John 4, the need is emotional. She has had seven men, none of them are husbands. They've used her body as a plaything, and she's torn apart. So it is a, it's a, Emotional need in John chapter 4. And you look at John chapter 5 and it's a physical need. So in John 2, John 3, John 4, and John 5, you have the methods of Christ. The methods of Jesus are always patient-focused. The methods of Christ are not disease-focused. They're patient-focused. Where the medical profession often looks at the disease, the medical missionary looks at the person as a total human being and recognizes that in the mental, physical, psychological, and spiritual dimensions of life, there are factors that contribute to the cause of disease. So whereas the medical missionary is interested in disease and interested in therapy that ministers to people that have disease, they are more interested in the person than they are in the disease. Because they know that if they deal with the person, they will be able to deal with the fundamental root cause of the disease. So the motive of the medical missionary is always loving service. The motive of the medical missionary is always compassion, never prestige, never power, never money. The method of the medical missionary is to look at the total person, physically, mentally, spiritually, psychologically. This is why it is very difficult to treat the whole person in a five-minute visit in the office. Very difficult. It's very difficult. It is not difficult to say, 
uh, John, where are you hurting? My stomach. Um, how long have you had it? Three weeks. Um, when did it start? Any then? Oh, yeah, it started here and there. Nurse, please prescribe. Four and a half minutes. That's another thing to say, John. You mentioned three weeks ago there's a traumatic event in your life. Your son went through the windshield of a car. You've told me you haven't been sleeping well over the last three weeks. That you really have slept a couple hours a night. Do you want a little talk a little bit more about your feelings? Do you want to talk about what you're going through? You can minister to people in ways that I never can. You can minister to people in ways that I never can. Dr. Gurant in Kentucky found that. hundred years ago, Dr. Gurant graduated from medical school. But he said, I must do more. He saw people coming into his office in Kentucky. And he said, I don't have the tools spiritually to help them. He went out and got a theology, theology degree. Now, I'm not suggesting all of you do that. You had long enough school. Gurant sensed what medical missionary work was all about. He, he was, he's a Presbyterian physician. But he recognized that God had called him to minister to people spiritually as well. And Gurant went from small town to small town in Kentucky. Treating the needs of people, praying with his patients, opening his Bible to, to his patients. Patient after patient would come into Gorin's office, at times depressed, discouraged, broken-hearted, headaches, stomach ache. He would treat them with the physical modalities of medicine, but Gorin would do more. He'd read them, the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Gordon became the most popular physician in Kentucky almost a hundred years ago. He was offered the president of, of uh, Austin University in Austin, Texas. Turned it down. He was offered to become medical director of the state. Turned it down. He was offered to become the home mission secretary of the, of the Presbyterian Church. He turned it down. He said, there's nothing more important than for me to treat my patients in poor rural Kentucky and to share Jesus with them. During those years, the Presbyterian Church had 36 full-time evangelists on full salary. The 36 evangelists in that period of time won 3,000 people to Christ in one year. It was in actually one year. 36 evangelists in one year. Gurant, in that one year, himself, through medical missionary work, won 2,700 people to Christ. There is something that you can do as you spiritually minister in your office, you have an opportunity. Your calling is far higher. The motive of true medical missionary work is unselfish service in Jesus' name. The methods meeting the needs of men and women, physically, mentally, spiritually, psychologically. You know, Ellen White makes quite an amazing statement in Medical Ministry, page 37, in which she says, the Redeemer expects our physicians to make the saving of souls their first work. That's a marvelous statement, isn't it? The Redeemer does what? 
He expects our physician to make the saving of souls their first work. And then medical ministry, page 31. Medical ministry, page 31. This has to do with the mission of it all. We've talked about motives, we've talked about methods, now we're talking about mission. Motives have to do with why we do what we do. Methods have to do with how we do what we do. Mission has to do with the object of what we do. The purpose of what we do. And here, Ellen White, page 31, Medical Ministry says, Every medical practitioner, whether he acknowledges it or not, is responsible for the souls as well as the bodies of his patients. Every physician should be a devoted, intelligent, gospel medical missionary worker, familiar with heaven's remedy for the sin-sick soul, as well as the science of the healing of healing bodily disease. So you have a double calling. Have you ever seen a coin that is so thin it has one side? Have you ever seen a coin that every coin has two sides? The physician's ministry is a two-sided ministry. One side deals with the physical modality of medicine. It deals with treating people's diseases. The other side deals with treating people. And all their complexity of their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. Jesus did that all the time. If you simply allow, if you simply allow people to come to your office and you're satisfied in treating them physically, you miss the essence of what your calling is all about. You remember the woman who had an issue of blood that came to Jesus? She had gone to physician after physician after physician. She could not be made whole. You know, one of the gospel writers says she went to all these physicians, spent her money, and only got worse. They were not graduates of Loma Linda, I can assure you that. That's what the Bible says. Now, Luke, who was a physician, doesn't say that. <laughs> one of the other gospel writers does. Says so she came to all these physicians, she got worse. She comes to Jesus. This woman is desperate. She spent all her money. She reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And as she does, new life courses through her veins. She's made whole again. And what happens? There's a dynamic exchange between Christ and the woman. And Jesus looks over at the woman and he looks at the crowd and he says, Who touched me? My question, why did not Jesus let her go on in peace? Why did he evoke a response? Why Jesus call out a response? For one reason. He knew that if she simply touched the hem of his garment and went on and did not have the salvic saving power of Christ flowing through her veins and living in her heart that she would get sick and die and be lost eternity, lost eternally. So Christ wanted to reveal himself to her as a savior. He wanted to evoke not merely physical healing, but a faith response. And so Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, look at all these people in the crowd. They're hitting you. They're jostling you. They're pushing you in the crowd. What are you saying, who touched me? And Jesus could distinguish the touch of faith. And the woman said, I touched you, Lord. And he ministered to her soul to simply treat people physically and let them go on their way when at times their hearts and minds are open and they give you signals that there are. Now, I am not suggesting that every person that comes into your office as a physician is ready to receive the gospel at that point. But there are ways that you can see if they are. 
when you're talking to somebody who's had a heart attack and you're counseling with the family, you're counseling with the family of a person who's had a heart attack, you can say to that woman whose husband has had a heart attack, after you, after you describe what has happened, that after you are, have the highest professional integrity, you can simply say to her, as a Christian physician, I often would like to pray with my patients. Would it be possible for me to pray with you? You're asking for her permission. A patient going into an operation, you're by their bedside, you put their hand on the, on the shoulder. This man is going into a very complex operation for a melanoma. And you put your hand on his shoulder and you say, would it be possible for me to pray with you? Would it be possible for me to share with you how I find faith in times of my crisis? What is the mission of the true medical evangelist? The mission is as God opens doors of opportunity to share Jesus. The motive, loving, unselfish service. The method, meeting needs everywhere in Jesus' name. The mission, sharing Jesus as opportunities open so that men and women will be whole. You probably are aware of some of the studies that are being done currently at Duke University. Duke is taking a look at spirituality and healing. Dr. Koning, Harold Koning, is doing a number of those studies bringing together, there's some significant evidence that when patients have spiritual modalities introduced, that the rate of healing is more rapid than if they don't. May I broach something with you that is worth thinking about? Let's suppose that there was a cancer drug that you knew was therapeutic but that because the patient did not want to take that cancer drug, and of course it's the patient's choice, but let's suppose that you perceived in your mind that the patient may not want to take it, but you never offered it to the patient. Okay, you're with me? There's a cancer drug that we'll say in this imaginary scenario is therapeutic. But you make the judgment for the patient, you make the judgment in behalf of the patient, and you don't give the patient that opportunity. Okay? But the drug would heal the patient. Could you be sued for malpractice if you don't let the patient have the opportunity? You've never shared the research in that area. Could there be something known as spiritual malpractice? Where because you already make a decision that the person may be offended if you ask to pray with them or read the Bible, so you choose for them. So therefore you don't provide a therapy that could make them whole. That's a thought question to take away with you. If you're sensitive to the Spirit, He will enable you to know when and how to introduce spiritual therapies to patients that will support and strengthen anything else that's happening. Medical missionaries have a motivation of love they meet the physical, mental, and spiritual needs of men and women. Their object is to lead them to Christ for, because they themselves know the Master. One of the greatest dangers of medical school today is this. The information coming at you is not like going to a drinking fountain and get a drinking of water. It's like standing before Niagara Falls and it sweeps you all away. The difference between college and medical school for the absorption of information is the difference between getting water out of a fountain 
and standing at Niagara Falls, right? If the challenge of medical school and the amount of material is huge, that prepares you for a life in medicine. Medical physicians have one of the most demanding lifestyles today. The demands are incredible in physicians. It is very easy going through medical school to lose your spiritual experience. And it's very easy as a physician to lose your, your spiritual experience. It's really easy. You cannot share a Christ you do not know. You can't share a Christ you do not know. Godly medical missionaries know Christ. The passion of their life is to know Him. The passion of their life is to have His grace in His love so overflowing from their hearts that they can touch somebody else with His grace. Do you know Jesus? Is that an inappropriate question to ask at Loma Linda University? Do you spend time in His Word? Does the gentleness of His voice charm your heart? Calm your nerves and give you comfort and peace. It's that comfort and that peace that gives you the context to meet the needs that you're going to need to meet. When your emotions are drained because of the service that you've poured out your life to serve others, and when you are seeing patient after patient after patient, and you're weary and exhausted, and there are still ten more patients to see, and you're saying, how can I possibly get through this day? There is a settled spiritual strength that comes from knowing God. There is a bedrock spirituality that energizes you and empowers you as you know the Master. Medical missionaries know more than textbooks. They know more than didactic information that they've absorbed. They know Christ. And that makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for knowing Jesus. We thank you for the calling you have given to these students. A calling that's far beyond what the world has to offer. A calling to physically, mentally, spiritually, and psychologically minister. A calling prompted by love, motivated by service. Father, as we prepare to serve others, may the Christ we share with others fill our own hearts, charm our own souls, Give us peace and strength and grace and power. Send us from this place with renewed vision that we can lead somebody to Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.